sermon from last week, I realized I used the term knuckleheads. I was talking about the people that created the internet. We said we have some geniuses and some knuckleheads, and they work together, and that's where we get the stuff that's on the internet. And I thought, I never say knuckleheads, so I don't know why that word came into my vocabulary, but it also made me start thinking about knuckleheads. And so as I'm thinking about knuckleheads, I thought, you know, some of the greatest knuckleheads I know are those three wonderful guys, the Three Stooges. And so the Three Stooges were knuckleheads. And they would do all sorts of crazy things. They would, you know, poke each other in the eye, make all sorts of weird noises. And they'd get themselves into some pretty bad situations. They'd find themselves in situations that just weren't good. And as I think about that, we see a long history in the Bible of people who got themselves into situations that just weren't good. And today, we get ourselves into situations that really just aren't good. And so today we're going to be looking at Israel. We're going to be looking at them just after um, the period of Judges was ending and right before the time of the kings was beginning. So in 1 Samuel, we see uh, David about to be anointed as a future king. Saul was becoming king. But right before that, we saw Eli the priest and his sons Hophni and Phinehas in a situation that really just wasn't good. And so as we turn to 1 Samuel, we're going to realize that robbing God of his glory is never good. Robbing God of his glory is never good. We pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priest with the people. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you. Only raw. If the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first and then take as much as you desire, then he would say, No, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, and the men despised the offering of the Lord. Hophni and Phinehas, these two men who were working in the temple, these two men who were sons of Eli, the great priest, were robbing. God. You see, rather than giving to the Lord the meat that he required, they were taking it for themselves. They were taking it for themselves. And this isn't the first time this happened. In Leviticus, we actually see Aaron's sons. There, there's a term that says strange fire was used for an offering they were using. And you know what happened to them? It says they were consumed by fire. So Hophni and Phinehas would certainly have known about this, that, that this happened before and they were consumed by fire. And yet, they were still willing to go ahead and try to do what they could to get what they wanted. And they missed a key point right from the get-go. When God tells people how to live, he expects them to live the way he tells them. When God tells people how to live, he expects them to live the way he tells them. But let's think about Hophni and Phinehas. Let's, get, let's, let's, let's examine this a little bit more. See, if you ask them, they weren't stealing from God. They were merely looking out for themselves. They had a need. They had a want. They had a desire. This was the choicest meat 
It still had the fat. You know, that gets all the flavor on there. You know, they, they really wanted this fresh meat. They wanted to be happy in the here and now. But what that's really showing is they didn't want to trust God for their happiness. They wanted to come at it by themselves. It wasn't, it wasn't a stomach issue. It was a heart issue. They were robbing God of his glory. People were bringing this meat to be sacrificed to him, these animals to be sacrificed to him, and they were stealing from it. They were robbing God of his glory. And we say, well, what is glory? The Hebrew word is kabod. It literally means uh, weight or heaviness. It's, it's the fullness of God is his glory. The very essence of God is his glory. In other words, if you're robbing God of his glory, you're knocking him down a peg. You're trying to take some part of God away from him. In this case, the part of God that makes us delight in him because we're trying to delight in something else. You see, the meat represented honor, reverence, respect, the holy fear that God is due. And Hophni and Phinehas, they didn't even take correction. Did you notice that? Somebody tried to call them out and tell them what was going on, but they still pursued their own interests. They still robbed God of his glory. They were called out and still went ahead with it. We say, come on, guys, what's going on? But until we get through this, until we realize that we need to be called out too and see how we'll respond, we don't really have uh, the right to judge them because you and I rob God too. You and I rob God. We know what God tells us to do, but we're also very aware that there's, a, there's this great meat hanging in front of us. There's this great thing we'd rather do, something else we could be having. The sense of, I know God is saying this, but I really, really want this. And oftentimes, that really, really is enough to pull us away from what God wants us to do. Oftentimes, that really, really is enough to pull us away from what God wants us to do. And so we relate to Hophni and Phinehas. We can't always relate to the good guy in a Bible story. Sometimes we need to realize we're not the good guy. So we relate to Hophni and Phinehas because we like to be happy in the here and now. We like to be happy. And so we buy things that cause us to feel like we're making it. Things that make us feel like we're keeping up or doing better than the Joneses. That we're looking legit to our peers. We're willing to give up God time for me time. That could be through sports, through a social life, through laziness. We give up God time for me time. We quickly bail on church things to follow through on sports, but we rarely bail on sports to follow through on church. It's interesting. We spend vast portions of our income on ourselves in a heartbeat but struggle with the idea that God could actually want us to give anything to him. We worship means and methods more than God. We worship means and methods more than God. Contemporary versus traditional, our preferences, our schedules, all these things that we take into account before we'll go to church. All these things we put in front of giving God the glory through our worship in the place he has created for us to worship together in. Say, I'm willing to come at this time, but if you don't fit my schedule, I'm not coming. And we end up finding glory in ourselves and our own efforts. We end up finding glory in ourselves 
in our own efforts, and that's robbing God. Because God's glory is not divisible. God doesn't share his glory. When getting our own way is our primary concern, God is no longer primary. For Hophni and Phinehas, they worked in the temple. If there was anybody who should have considered God primary, it was them. And they weren't doing it. The meat became their primary concern. God became secondary. And so if God is not primary in your life, you are robbing him of his glory. Because you're taking first position and putting him second or third or fourth or so on. If you were part of our vacation Bible school last year, you know we talked about the glory givers and the glory getters. We said that we want to give God all the glory, that he deserves all our praise, all our glory. But we said that there are those who would rather get glory themselves, and they're the glory getters. Hophni and Phinehas were glory getters. You and I are too often glory getters as well. Let's jump ahead in the story to to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Uh, What's happened here is is, uh, there was a battle coming up. And and we'll see what what this mindset did to them. Thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer while the Philistines camped in Aphek. The Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies." So the people sent to Shiloh, and from there they carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who sits above the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth resounded. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. The Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who shall deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who smote the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, or you will become slaves to the Hebrews, as they have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent, and the slaughter was very great. For there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers, and the ark of God was taken. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. So in chapter 4, we see that the Israelites have now been defeated by the Philistines, and the ark of the covenant has been captured. The Ark of the Covenant was the symbol of God's divine presence with his chosen people, Israel. So the fact that the Ark of the Covenant was captured was a really big deal. Was a really big deal. But did you notice they went into battle the first time without really worrying about God? They just went into battle. Something bad had to happen before they turned to God. They lost 4,000 men before they turned to God. So once they did bring him into the picture, it wasn't so he could be glorified. 
they brought him into the picture so they could be satisfied. You catch that? They brought him into the picture not so God could be glorified, but so that they could be satisfied. We already said robbing God of his glory is never good, and now we're learning that robbed relationships never prosper. Robbed relationships never prosper. Hophni and Phinehas certainly didn't prosper. They're dead. The Israelites didn't prosper. They've now lost 34,000 men. And, oh yeah, the Ark of the Covenant's been captured too. God's presence is no longer among his people because they preferred personal satisfaction over God's glorification. If you've ever had an argument with somebody, you understand this concept. You know that a robbed relationship doesn't prosper. You know, if there's somebody that you're not getting along with and you haven't rebuilt, if you haven't done anything about it, then you probably don't hang out. You don't invite them over for dinner. You don't go to Starbucks together. And if you see each other in the grocery store, there's a pretty good chance you're going to act like you didn't see each other. Robbed relationships don't prosper. And the same is true for you and me as we relate to God. If all we're after is personal satisfaction. Because we've robbed something from God. Now we do need to admit that in order to have a robbed relationship, there had to be a relationship in in the first place. So it's not that you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that. But we've robbed the relationship. We robbed the relationship by making our first goal to get something out of God. That's not why you become a Christian. It's not to get something out of God. It's to give God glory for what he's already done for you. Too often we, we treat God like he's a vending machine of blessings. We treat God like he's a vending machine of blessings. Think what a vending machine is. A vending machine can sit there for days, weeks, months, whatever, and make no difference in your life until you want something. Then you interact with that vending machine and you get what you're after. See, that's what the Philistines did with God. They went into battle and they lost. They didn't like losing. They wanted to win. They didn't want to give God glory. They just didn't want to die. And so they brought God into the picture thinking he would bless them with victory. It didn't happen that way. But what they thought, what they thought here was they thought bringing the Ark of the Covenant to battle, bringing God to the battle, suddenly going to God like a vending machine of blessings. They thought that was enough. They thought they did enough for God to serve them. They thought they did enough. Because when you go to a vending machine, you just put enough in to get what you want. But the truth is, anytime you think you're doing something enough for God, you're not doing it enough. Anytime you think you're doing something enough for God, you're not doing it enough. Because God has never been about enough. He's always been about abundance. God has never been about enough. He's always been about abundance. You can look it up in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. But if God's willing to bring abundance to the relationship, if he's willing to bring abundance to the relationship between me and God, I must be willing to bring abundance to the relationship as well. Otherwise, I am robbing the relationship and a robbed relationship never prospers. Too often, we give God an hour or two on Sunday morning and say, that's enough. 
or we do Sunday morning and maybe something midweek, and, and that's enough. Or, or we do so many things that we get really busy, and we get, we get worn out, and that's something we have to address. But it's not about doing it enough. We can never do enough for God, because God's never about enough. He's always about abundance. And so if your faith seems flat, ask yourself, are you trying to just get by with enough for God? with enough of God? Or are you truly giving him the glory he deserves? Are you giving him an abundance of your life, your time, your finances, your family, your devotion, your worship, your work, your play, your schooling? You know, we feel like our, our families don't function right. We feel like our jobs are overtaking us. Our financial burdens just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And yet we don't acknowledge God the way we should. We rob the relationship. But here's the good news. Even in the midst of all that junk, of a robbed relationship, we rob God of his glory and then suffer the consequences of that robbed relationship, we realize that God's glory reigns supreme. We realize that God's glory reigns supreme. In chapter 5 of 1 Samuel, beginning in verse 1, Now the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. When the Ashdodites arose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set him in his place again. But when they arose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor all who entered Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. Forcing God to submit never works. Forcing God to submit never works. The Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant, which is a large box, and they placed it at the base of the statue to their God. And what this is saying is that the statue fell over. The Philistines came in and saw it, but they loved their statue, their god Dagon, so much that they put the Dagon thing back up. I thought that was cool. <laughs> they put it back up. And once again, God doesn't submit to anything. And so Dagon fell back down and shattered. God didn't submit his glory to the Israelites when they tried to bring him into battle. God certainly wasn't going to submit his glory to a false God. And God doesn't submit his glory to us either. God doesn't submit his glory to us either. And that is very good news. Because God's glory reigns supreme. Everything God does is an outflow of his glory. He gives you food to eat so that you might understand his glory more. He gives you the people in your life so that you might understand his glory more. He gives you peace in the midst of a bad situation so that you might understand his glory more. He gives us our finances so that we might trust him and understand his glory more. He created the church with Christ as its head so we might understand his glory more as we're a part of it. In fact, he sent Jesus to save you 
not because heaven had a whole lot of vacancies, but because he wanted you to understand his glory more. God is all about his glory, and he has every right to be. He's the only one who deserves to be all about his own glory. To think that God, who is all about his glory, would submit to the Israelites, another God, or to you and me, is an oxymoron. It's like jumbo shrimp, almost exactly. Genuine imitation. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. See, even though Hophni and Phinehas didn't get it, and really, even though the Israelites didn't get it, and, and, and even though the Philistines didn't get it, God still reigns supreme. And you know, even when you and I don't get it, even when you and I don't understand, God's glory still reigns supreme. Even when we're not living like it, God's glory still reigns supreme. Nothing usurps God's glory. You say, yeah, but the culture, but my family, but my friends, but, but work, but you don't understand what's going on there. It's hard to live in a culture that doesn't give God his glory. I agree. It's hard to, to be surrounded by people who don't give God the glory he's due. I agree. I'm not saying you're wrong with those arguments. I'm saying it's not a valid reason to not give God his glory. Remember, God's glory reigns supreme over everything. That's our good news. So we're going to look back at somebody who lived for God, even in the midst of this very same culture that was not giving God the glory he deserved. We're going to turn to chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, the very beginning. And we're going to meet Hannah. Now, Hannah was suffering. She was suffering because she couldn't have any children. She longed to have children, but she couldn't. She had internal turmoil because she couldn't give her husband any offspring. She had external turmoil because she was ridiculed for it. Look at verse 6. It says, Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. She was ridiculed for it. But what we're going to see about Hannah is, is Hannah was living in this culture that didn't give God glory, but, but Hannah wasn't seeking her own glory. She was going against the grain. Look at verses 10 and 11. Hannah, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come on his head. Hannah wasn't seeking her own glory. Before you spend your day wondering why they mentioned a razor, it goes back to Samson, the guy who didn't cut his hair. The Levites didn't cut their hair because they were dedicated to God. She was saying, I'll dedicate him to God. I won't cut his hair. I know you, you want your people to be a certain way, and I'm gonna, I, want Sam, I want my son to be like that if you'll give me a son. You see, despite her real need, despite her very real need, she understood that seeking God's glory would result in blessing. She didn't go to God as a vending machine of blessings. She went to God and prayed that he would be glorified through the situation. There's no indication in here that, that she knew she would get a son out of doing this. There's no indication. So we can't say this is prosperity gospel with what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is giving God the glory leads to, his, leads 
to blessing. Giving God the glory leads to blessing. When we give God the glory, we receive, we receive blessing. And that's not prosperity gospel. Because I'm not telling you that if you give God glory, you're going to become a millionaire. I'm not telling you that if you give God glory, everything's going to go great. But I'm saying if you give God glory, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. There was no indication she knew she would get a son. It's not about a prosperity gospel. This is about a faithful God who wants his glory to shine. This is about a faithful God who wants his glory to shine. She showed that her heart was ready for God to move. Because her heart wasn't about her. Her heart was about God and his glory. Hannah was a glory giver in a society that was full of glory getters. And so we get to find out the good news of what happened. Look at verse 20. It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. Hannah was blessed because she gave God the glory. She, she, she had a son. In fact, she, after she had the son, she didn't forget about that either. Look at verses 27 and 28. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. She acknowledged that God could work in her life for his glory. And she followed through on that. At no point was her desire for her own glory. She longed for a son. But she said she was willing to dedicate the son to God. Answered prayer should always give God glory. And sure enough, Samuel would be the one that would anoint David to be the future king of Israel. The one who would lead Israel to be a, be a country that honored God in so many wonderful ways. That would set up then Jesus Christ coming. It was a key part of God's plan because Hannah was giving God the glory in a society that was about their own glory. When we give God the glory, we get the blessing. When we give God the glory, we get the blessing. Look at Psalm 16, verse 11. The writer says, You will make known to me the path of life. Your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. That's not saying in your right hand are pleasures you're just going to throw out to me so I can enjoy life here. That's saying when I rest in you, you hold pleasures forever. You have everything I need. Hannah realized that. Hannah realized that. She exemplifies what John Piper said. John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. If you really want to take advantage of the good news of the sermon here, you've got to ask yourself honestly, what satisfies me most? What satisfies me most? Hannah wanted a son, but she gave up the son to God for his glory and only got to see him once a year when they went to the temple. If you're most satisfied by money or by sports, by your car, by your relationships, by your habits, your desires, you're doing it wrong. I'm doing it wrong. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And once we understand that giving God the glory leads to blessing, then we get to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
we get to glorify God and enjoy him together. See, after all that happened to Hophni and Phinehas, and then to Hannah, we see Samuel as the happy ending to the story. Look at Samuel 7. We'll begin in verse 3. Then Samuel, he has become a leader in Israel. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord, and serve him alone, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the, the Ashtaroth and served the Lord alone. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. They gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines had heard the sons of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Then the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. The men of Israel went out, to Mizpah, out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel set a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more within the border of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron, even to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. So there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel was all about God's glory. When you glorify God, you get to enjoy him. Samuel led God's people back to God because suddenly it was all about verse 3. It was all about verse 3. He said, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him alone, he will deliver you from the hand of of the Philistines. It was all about verse 3. It was all about turning back to God, about putting aside all the stuff that had gotten in the way of their relationship with God. Samuel led them in doing that. Samuel led them in doing that. I'm here to tell you that we may, we may be knuckleheads and we try to rob God of his glory, but there's a happy ending even to that. If we break down verse 3 and apply it to our own lives, we can glorify God, enjoy Him and His blessings forever. We return to the Lord with all our heart. Those things that we find our satisfaction and we put them aside, put God first and foremost in our life. We remove the foreign gods. In other words, there's nothing in our life that gets God's glory. We don't get it. Our car doesn't get it. Our ability at, at the gym or, or at work or, or doing anything doesn't get it. God gets it. We direct our heart to the Lord and serve him 
alone. In other words, you become a glory giver. You become a glory giver. You need to make the decision once and for all that God deserves the glory more than you do. God deserves the glory more than you do. So give him that glory. Don't hold back. If that means your conversation over lunch today is about changing your priorities, have the conversation. Have the conversation. What's it say happened when Israel changed their ways? Did you catch that? Look what happened when Israel changed their ways. The Philistines were subdued, and they did not come anymore within the border of Israel. The hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken, they all came back to Israel as well. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. There was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Some of you are longing for peace this morning. Some of you are longing for a peace you've never known. Give God the glory. Take the pressure off yourself. Give God the glory that he deserves and enjoy his peace. Enjoy his blessings. His peace is the best peace there is. It's perfect peace. So glorify God and enjoy him forever just as Samuel led the Israelites to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is so much around us even right now So many things, so many people, so many thoughts in our heads that could rob you of your glory if we're willing to give it that kind of attention. Father, we take great pride in things here on earth, thinking that somehow we've done it, we've made it, we've accomplished it. But Father, your glory reigns supreme. Father, we get in this habit of knocking you down a peg. We think we've done enough. But God, you've never been about enough. You have always been about abundance for us. And for us to give you anything less than abundance is selfish. We rob you of your glory. So Father, help us have those conversations. Help us think through the ways that we're not giving you the glory you deserve. Change our families, change our relationships that you might be honored and you might be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close worship this morning, we do so with a a wonderful old hymn and then a new song declaring that God gave